Welcome. This is William Evans, and you are listening to a Living World Conversation with Raleigh Burley, editor of the Sopra Sun. Welcome, Raleigh. Thanks, Will. What can you tell us about your work with Emergence Magazine? Emergence Magazine describes itself as in the business of building relationships, and it's an online publication mostly. They do an annual print edition as well. So they opened up a workshop. It's more of like a leadership course called Radical Seeds of Renewal. And I applied for that uh, back in the summer and was blessed to be chosen to participate. So there's 20 students, more or less, from all over the world joining in it's all virtual so it's by zoom and that's with guest teachers and we're supposed to have a project as part of the prod part of the course that we're working toward well tell our listeners yeah about the project sure begun to call it re-media for a little while i was stuck on wanting it to be the antithesis of social media mm-hmm. Um, a way of rewilding our communication and eventually I suppose re-media entered me and I thought that's a that's a nice concept to hold it because it's meant to be a sort of remediation of our social structure and just in the way that we care for these other ecosystems that sustain us putting some thought into what's going on in that sphere. How are we getting to know one another? How are we sharing ideas? And I've come to believe that it's become a very sort of convoluted, overly mediated thing, especially with social media that really fractures us into little echo chambers. And it removes... I suppose the face of the people that we're communicating with and so there's so much more of a inclination to treat people without respect than if we were to be sitting in circles so I'd like to begin with a speaking circle in the springtime keeping in mind how to make this as COVID precautious as we can, but also really as as minimally mediated as possible. So for people who have not participated in a talking circle before, the word moves respectfully between the participants. I'm reflecting on some years ago you had an experience where you sat in a circle and your heart and your essence were invited. In fact, they were welcome. Mm-hmm. I suppose you're you're referring to uh, the Mapuche people who I came to know in Puel Mapu, which people call Argentina, but to sit around the fire there and among nations gathered to speak of climate change as an extension of colonialism, as an ongoing effect of colonialism. Although you and I believe our town could benefit from a talking circle, we also know people who are here and are not welcoming to that form of voice. 
Yeah, and I, I suppose I want to challenge that as volatile as it may turn. I guess I'm a little bit adventurous to believe that it's worth trying. I think the power of this circle is that it's ideally not exclusionary at all. And if people can abide by the simple rules of respect and not interrupting and speaking in turn, I think some really profound wisdom could bubble up between us. Yes, that sounds wonderful. Well, we're living in a time of devastating and intentional disconnection, and that separation is unhealthy. It shortens lifespans, and, and it impacts all of us adversely. Well, so you may have heard on KDNK last week on Thursday and Friday, the Thanksgiving address read aloud. Uh, this is an Iroquois practice beginning meetings and establishing a common mind of gratitude for the many things that people cannot dispute. <laughs> We're all so thankful exist and sustain us. Things like the water and the sun and the moon and the stars. And so while I think that in this circle there will be disagreement, there will be points of contention, we can look at the way these things have functioned in the past and recognize that focusing on, on things that we have in common more than our differences is an important base. But at the same time, I think we do really desperately in these times need to speak some of our differences so that they can be received respectfully and we might I guess thaw the way our minds and our hearts have been so hardened into a certain way of thinking and feeling and being. I think that coming out of this big pandemic experience, or rather being about two years into it, we're all really needing some collective ritual to to heal a little bit that space that's between us. Uh, yeah, and sharing gratitude for our living world family is healing. Yes, yes. Our command-structured uh, society and fear-based communication adversely impacts our collective health. Yeah, I think we can see that beyond the virus and its damage, we're experiencing many other layers of destruction to our health, our healthy relationships, our uh, soundness of mind. There are really important traditions I've been glad to see continue through this hardship like Potato Days and Dandelion Day and Mountain Fair. And I think there's something so important to coming together and acknowledging the real danger of the virus and not knowing where we'll be by springtime when it's warm enough for people to be ex reasonably expected to sit out in the park for a few hours. Um, we want to take precautions, but we also continue and deepen this practice of seeing each other as common stewards of a place. 
Well, and that commonality in those celebrations you mentioned are all manifestations of a lot of collective good-hearted intention. And uh, my my brother Kalansanaw, a Haida indigenous elder, explained the distinction between a culture which can come into unity with a common mind relationship with life-sustaining sources. And he contrasted that with a command-based structure where the majority of people depend on the orders of a select few. And the responsibility of protecting the lives of society and our culture is now held by people giving orders, declaring mandates, and perhaps even serving a for-profit agenda. Yeah, I think of this remedia container hosting speaking circles for our collective psyche. And it's unlike a town council meeting or church or a lecture in that we're not looking to a single person to have the answers to tell the rest what's right or wrong. It's leveling the stage so that all people are participating in the formulation of what is good, what is true, what is necessary, and yeah, trusting that there is greater wisdom between us than within any single person. It's one of the amazing stories of our part of the world is that the farmers long ago at Chaco Canyon walked away from the elite and from the great houses and they reinvented themselves at Mesa Pueblos and along the Rio Grande River. Wow, what a powerful story. Well, like the people of Chaco, we seem to be at the end of an era. Some of us are recognizing the world we knew is gone and we're we're also recognizing the elite have a plan. Michael Mead, the mythologist and storyteller, was speaking with a group of us about this recently, and he believes the world we used to know is in collapse and we're on the edge of a renewal, and believes what's called for is an awakening of the genius of as many people as possible. And what he means as change happens is that No one is in charge. Each of our individual practices becomes something that benefit the system of a whole community. And we may all come into a more blessed state and see the value of the individual and the individual see the value of the community and a collective wisdom that includes the community of animals and trees. Yeah, I think that... uh... We're in this liminal space where things are a little bit up in the air. Our old ways of living, we've seen erode, and within that chaos is the potential to plant seeds. And as you mentioned about the elite having a plan, I think there are many seeds being planted at this time. (laughs) And some of them, possibly greater systems of control as a solution, as a idea for spiraling us out of the 
multiple crises that are unfolding at once. But I think we also have agency in this. We as a community, as individuals, have the right to plant seeds for the future we want to see, the world that we'd like to inhabit. And I think that sometimes these big global narratives, even national narratives, can overwhelm us and crowd out the subtle voices that surround us that are true to the place where we walk, the place that we acquire our water from. And I believe personally that it's imperative we start paying better attention to our local stories and we let those bigger narratives sort of fizzle out as we turn our attention to what are we doing to assure the ecosystem's healthy balance and the continuance of life right where we are. This is Katie and Kay, and you're listening to a Living World Conversation with Raleigh Burley. Well, a practice of speaking with respect can be healing and build trust. Yeah, I think respect comes from sort of that eye-to-eye connection. And it's hard to emulate or replace that. I think it may even be impossible. And in my experience, it's amazing how people can quickly take to it. Even though they've never done it, there's something innately natural about it. You know, we get some um, harsh words sometimes as the newspaper sitting at the editor desk. I bet. Any number of emails can come in, and I've found that responding respectfully and sort of reminding the voice on the other side that we too are human (laughs) uh, changes the tone very quickly. Will, you were sharing with me recently a New York Times article about prehistoric cities in what's now Ukraine, and they had these grand experiments in decentralized urbanization by planning cities in circles. Yes, and the, the authors of that asked the, the question, what held these early experiments in urbanization together? And I remember that in addition to the cities being circles, each sort of district of the city had a common space for gathering. Well, and I speculate these people may have been a common mind culture rather than a command-based culture. So they intuitively gathered together and maintained their unity by talking circles. Mm -hmm. Well, and us being of a command structure culture, although our essence may be more circular, I do acknowledge based on conversations I've had that having such an open invitation may invite a certain element of mischief or also just unpreparedness for folks that come to participate and perhaps can't allow the circle to operate as it should. No question about it, there are risks. The obvious one is if you don't invite your heart and soul 
into the circle, it's easy to get caught into a contest. And if you accept the reality that the majority of us were educated to be competitive, we, we see the adverse effects of that competitiveness in our relationship with source water and our inability to resolve global warming. Yeah, I think that it asks of us a lot of stripping layers back to just sit and listen, to be open, to not be thinking about what you're going to say and the weight it will hold in the circle, but rather allow the soul of the circle itself to speak through the people. Well, say more about what you mean by stripping things back. You know, there's this um, Carl Jung idea about laws that really stuck with me when I first read it. And he says, wherever there is a lie, you've essentially constructed a fence between people. And what would have been worked out through interpersonal exchange may not have been as clean or safe as a law is instead it's just sort of structured in. And while that has obviously many benefits, Carl Jung's argument in that was that it denies us a certain process of maturity and it comes with speaking, dialoguing, acknowledging and seeing the conflicts. It sort of makes them invisible. Well, I can understand that. I was educated in lots of layers of laws and restrictions that ultimately resulted in an unhealthy system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that maybe what we can awaken to is that we've got layers upon layers caked into our idea of how things happen. And I think it's obstructing our direct relationship to source and our, our idea of how simply things can happen, too. You think of bureaucracy. <laughs> you think of forms always needing to be completed to function in really basic, essential ways. I think we're posed with a question now, do we want more, more filters for our relationship with life itself? Or are we ready to step into something more essential? Do you have any reflections on experiences in organizations where you've encountered some of those layers and control filters? Well, one that jumps to mind, when I was just beginning as the news director at KDNK, 22 years old, I had some naivety, was somewhat surprised to find that so many of our decisions are guided by the economic factor. While important, I don't think that needs to be the most important by any means. And so when it comes to a big project or a reason for conservation, often organizations are pushed to come up with the economic reasons why it's, why it's good for the money side of things. And I think that takes precedence over what is right for its own sake, what needs to be protected for its own sake. Yeah, unless we can mature beyond a singular focus on profit, we'll 
we'll never be able to hold the paradox of source and commodity. In this valley, we have many people with wealth who generously support altruistic efforts, and we also have people with wealth and no sense of how much is enough. One of my favorite characters, Theodore Schwenk, reminded us a way of thinking directed solely to profit cannot perceive the vital coherence of all things in nature. For example, our, uh, our near-religious worship of growth has collided with the limits of the carrying capacity of available water in the West, and yet the Denver Water Board is very serious, putting money on the table about raising the height of gross reservoir and diverting even more western slope water to feed growth. Well, and at the same time, just up the creek in Nederland, they've gone ahead and, and taken municipal action, recognizing the rights of the river, in this case Boulder Creek, uh, which is a movement that's spread now beyond Nederland. Uh, Ridgeway recently did the same for the Uncompagre River. So I feel it's often, it's almost like the vibrancy's turned up, but we see the response grow at the same time as the issue. Yeah, young people today, can see back the 400 years of militaristic abuse of Mother Nature and that we're not only continuing to feed out-of-control growth but global warming and serving up for them a dying world story. One thing that came clear to me when I was at this climate camp among indigenous nations of the world, and this was February 2020, it was right before everything shut down, Lithium mining is an enormous problem, and I think we very ignorantly treat the electrification as an end. Maybe it's a step, and I'll acknowledge that it's certainly less polluting to a degree, but it's not without its own shadow. And today that means the displacement of indigenous people. It's challenging to be in times of parallel crises, but there's also great potential. So, Raleigh, do you sense our parallel crises are converging in a downward spiral? I think that we're faced with a evolution as a society, as a people, and I think it's very personal. I think that things are challenging us to grow beyond ourselves to suffer the consequences of of our society's decisions and to correct course so while it may appear that we're in a downward spiral uh, it's our choice what to do next that requires some uh innate wisdom and spontaneity within each of us because if we don't have something that is our choice we're presently being commanded and herded into a large military industrial experiment and the end of an era is a radical change and collapse and if we have that innate wisdom and connection you're speaking of uh, an opportunity of renewal 
Yeah, and I think in terms of processes rather than some product, some final idyllic state in which things are going to be better, I think it's lived daily. It's many choices, how we relate to one another, how we relate to ourselves, how we relate to our media, the stories that we share with one another, whether those stories support a living world story or whether they send us deeper into a dying world story. And it's, it can't be understated the degree to which we need to reorient ourselves toward truly regenerative living. So I don't know if it's going to happen in any of our lifetimes. I doubt it. But we can be a part of that process. I, I think it's happening today. And I think it's happening as the youth come together with the wise old woman and the wise old man. The elders who have some sense of grounding and meaningful things like the depth of humanity and idealism, but also the experience to understand how struggles go and what strategies are not just surviving, but what strategies are sustaining and life-giving and a living world story. Yeah, there's only right now. I think people are hungry, thirsty for for a better story to rehydrate the soul and receptive to it. So it's a really, it's a blessing to be at this moment in time. It's, a, it's an amazing time to be awake. Thank you, Relly. Thank you, Will. You've been listening to a Living World Conversation with Raleigh Burley, editor of The Sopra Sun. This is KDNK. Thank you for listening. <laughs>